we make better things when we make them together and we're happier and we live longer and we, you know, so to me, that's very exciting. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Susan. Let's learn together what matters most in life. In today's episode, we're speaking with founder and CEO of the Next Big Idea Club, Rufus Griscom. The Next Big Idea Club is a platform and an app that directly connects world's most brilliant writers and thinkers with their audience, so they can interact around life-changing ideas in a more powerful way. Every season, the two most groundbreaking books are selected by Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, Susan Cain, and Daniel Pink. You will hear from Rufus what he personally thinks is currently the most important big idea, which is that humans are capable of living in much more collaborative ways than the way we live now. We make better things when we make them together, Rufus says, and we will learn from him that we are smarter, happier, healthier, less susceptible to cognitive biases, and even live longer if we are engaged together collaborating in groups. I was intrigued how passionately Rufus is sharing with us in this episode how he wants to focus on creating community, on connecting with a wide range of people and helping them connect with each other. It's all about connecting and doing that in a humble and grateful way, he says. You will also hear from Rufus which tasks he wants to have fulfilled before lying on his deathbed, looking back to a rich and meaningful life. These do not only include turning experiences into joy, but also creating most colorful fireworks. Enjoy hearing for yourself. We're excited to have you as our guest on Before It's Too Late today, Rufus Griscom. Rufus, welcome to Before It's Too Late. Christian, I am so thrilled to be here. So am I. Rufus, you are the founder and CEO of the Next Big Idea Club. Tell us more about it, what it is, and how you had the idea to create it. Absolutely. Well, first of all, Christian, I love what you're doing with this podcast, and I'm really honored to be here with you. And as it happens, talking about my own past is among my favorite subjects. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, great. But no, my career has really come full circle because I started out as a book editor, you know, 25 years ago in New York. And then I built digital platforms for dating and parenting. And now I'm building a platform for writers and readers to connect. So it, it, it's satisfying in the sense that it's sort of coming back to my roots. And our conviction is that there are better ways for writers to deliver their ideas in more personal formats to larger audiences and also shorter formats because we know that the typical reader of a nonfiction book reads 18 to 20 percent. So most people are really not looking for a 15-hour you know, <laughs> reading experience. They're looking for a somewhat shorter experience. So we think there are better ways for writers and readers to connect, to discover new ideas, and that there will be and should be a more dynamic marketplace between readers and writers. We believe this will happen, and we want to be the ones to build it. 
I think that's absolutely fantastic. So when you connect the writers with the readers, what is it about that positioning as the next big idea? Since I know you have these amazing, great writers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I think our view is that, first of all, that it's really about ideas opposed to books, right? And when we think about, for instance, like movies, right, that we would have said, you know, 20 years ago, that film is sort of the greatest video genre. And really, a film should properly be two hours long, you know, between 90 minutes and two and a half hours. And this is the natural medium for beautiful video execution. What we've seen happen is when you look back on it, you, you think like, well, actually, It used to be that video projectors were very expensive and you had to, you know, have movie theaters and you had to get people to sit together. And how long can people sit together? Well, maybe it's two to three hours. And so the genre of the film emerges as a roughly a two hour experience. Likewise, with the printing press and with books, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble of binding these books together and delivering them to people and selling them at a consistent price point around $20, people don't want them to be too short you know, uh, because they want to feel mm -hmm. like they're getting their money's worth. And what's happened is going back to the video example, all of a sudden people have these beautiful television sets in their homes. And what happens, but we have the Netflix, you know, original series where people are sign up for 10, 20, 30 hours of programming following the same characters because they no longer have the constraint of the movie theater. And so the genre evolves, the genre changes. And so we think that when you look forward in the next 10, 20, 30 years at how idea delivery will change, that the idea of the 250 or 300 page book is somewhat artificial as a, it, that it's not as set in stone as people think. What's already happening is that audio is becoming a preferred way to consume ideas, particularly for younger people. Like the younger, if you look at the data on audiobook consumption, the younger the demographic, the higher percentage of audio consumption. And It's the fastest growing category of book production. And this opens up a lot of new possibilities around formats, around new emerging companies that can deliver the best new ideas from leading thinkers around the world. So it's called the next big idea because we think ideas in some sense are the critical thing that opposed to books. We've started by delivering new books in the core product in the next big idea app is that you can listen to all the most important new books a new book every day in 12 minutes directly from the authors so we have all the leading authors and thinkers delivering their own ideas in 12 minutes and soon we're going to start creating original audio products from leading thinkers in kind of two to five hour format so it's exciting wow that sounds amazing i can't actually think of any more powerful way of how to deliver ideas than directly by the writer or the one who has created that idea, right? And also, I can hear that you have put a lot of energy into curation, right? I think now more than ever, curation of ideas is important. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. No, because there's just so much material out there. And for years, you know, we all relied upon, you know, had this wonderful experience and hopefully we all still have this wonderful experience of walking around a bookstore and looking at the books that are presented to us. And we sort of allow the bookstore to, to select ideas for us. Well, now more and more people are buying books on Amazon. Mm 
And so there's just an ocean of tens of thousands of books to navigate. And there are algorithms that might give you suggestions, but it's not, it's different from real curation. And it turns out that when you go through an airport and look at, at the books that are offered to you or most bookstores, those face out positions are purchased by the publisher. It's not really curation. It's it's basically marketing that you're experiencing typically when you're walking around a bookstore or unless it says like editors, you know, staff picks or something. So what we have is we have a collection of the leading thinkers, Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Cain, and Adam Grant and Daniel Pink choosing the most important new books at a pace of 80 a, a quarter, which works out to a new book every weekday. And so many of them you can enjoy in 12 minutes and learn a lot. And then, you know, maybe every three or four, you say, hey, wow, I, I want to go deeper and buy the book. Oh, that is powerful. So, uh, Rufus, what's the most important idea right now and why? Well, wow, that's a, I have never read more in my life, Christian, which is a great <laughs> privilege. I feel very lucky to get to read so many books because it's part of my job. And, and one sees ideas emerging often from different places, different writers that are sort of part of the zeitgeist. And uh, to use a German word, uh, we appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And the idea that to me is most exciting, that's coming, that I see in emerging in more than a half dozen different new books that have come out in the last few years, is the idea that humans are capable of living in much more collaborative ways. And when we are more collaborative, when we work more closely together and even live more closely together, we are smarter, we're less susceptible to uh, cognitive biases or making kind of mistakes of logic. When we think in groups, we're healthier, we live as many as 10 years longer if we have a, a connected community, we're happier. So basically, we are much better when we are engaged together more intimately, collaborating in groups. And we've had, I think, in the last 100 years, this sort of mythology of American individualism, of you know going it alone, and the idea that people, that a single person like Steve Jobs changes the world, and it's about individual achievement. And I think there's more, it's more and more evidence that that's just not the way, that's not reality. The, re the reality is that most all achievement is group achievement. And you know if Steve Jobs had had his way at Apple, there never would have been an open app ecosystem. It's teams of people who make good decisions. And to some degree, I think that we, there's a design flaw in how we live today. You know, that people are too isolated. Everybody lives in their own white box, you know, you know? Mm. and everybody tries to be sort of successful as an isolated individual. And the trends that we see in a lot of different areas are television is written by teams of people. Movies increasingly are written by teams of people. Increasingly, scientific papers are written by teams of people. I think we're going to see this trend continue and that we make better things when we make them together. And we're happier and we live longer. And we, you know, So to me, that's very exciting. And I'll give credit to a few different authors here. Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General, wrote a wonderful book called Together about the increase in health and lifespan and effectiveness when, we, when we're more connected. There's a wonderful book called Humankind by Rutger Bregman that's all about this kind of phase transition to more communal collaboration that can happen much faster than we think. I think we think it takes forever 
for cultures to change, but they can sometimes change quickly if there are a number of factors that cause that to happen. There's another one I, I like recently called The Extended Mind by Annie Murphy Paul about how we think outside our bodies and how we uh, are more effective thinking in groups. Wow, I really like what you were extending on um, the collaboration and how we work together and live together closely. So maybe, Rufus, I'll see you and your family transit into a community sometime soon. <laughs> you know, I, I do think that that's a long-term project of mine and my wife, Elisa. We both believe that, particularly when you see, you know, we have children who are getting older, as do you, Christian. And, and you know, and I think that there are different times in life where in college, in university, right, we, we all do live in tribes, right? And then we tend to form these urban tribes after college. And then when we have kids, we tend to get much more isolated. I think looking towards our kids going to college and so on, I think we really are seriously interested in this project of thinking through a better way to live more communally. As before, it's too late, is all about um, the person I'm interviewing, my guest, um, Rufus. Let's talk a little bit more about you personally. What is it that you pursue completely fearlessly? Oh, boy. Well, I'm not sure that I pursue anything completely fearlessly, because one of the things I'm working on, Christian, is radical candor, is being you know as honest as possible at all times. Wow, that's grand. That's big. So how yeah. far have you come? <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a fine line. There is such a thing as being too honest or being insensitive to people around you, right? But I think I'm much more honest than I used to be in earlier years because I think one of the things we learn is if you lead with vulnerability, two things happen. And I found this to be true. And we immediately think of this in, a, in your personal life, like, oh, you know, challenges with in my life and I'm going to share them. But it's also can be true in business. Like I, I'll tell you what, you know, what the weakest parts are of, of our business to an investor or to a, a business partner. I think when you lead with vulnerability, you first of all cause people to think, wow, this person or this business must have a lot of strengths if they're willing to be so honest about their weaknesses. But also it generates trust and accelerates bonding. I think that I found to be a good experience. But to answer your question about living fearlessly, I think the older we get, the less afraid we become of other people. <laughs> you know, I mean, the universe and and the finiteness of life might get more intimidating, but other people become less intimidating. I think it's sort of one of the gifts of getting older. And so I would say I've become more and more fearless about talking to strangers. Growing up, my father was always very good at like walking up and talking to people he didn't know. And and I always thought, how does he do that? And now I'm, Christian, I'm 53 years old. I'm about to turn 54. But I have hit a point where I really love to find ways to just walk up and find, you know, friendly ways just to start conversations with people I don't know. So that's, and I'd like to do more of that. It, it, I think it's an additive to life. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that, Rufus. Looking back to your life and to your journey, tell us about an event in your life, if there was any, that transformed you. That is a great question question. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I might have to say that some of the early challenges in getting, I've started by building company number four now, Christiana, you know, as you know, I've built yeah. a series of companies and the second company I started, which was a, a platform for dating technology company, 
for online mm-hmm. dating. Mm-hmm. It basically failed. It basically failed. But we sold it for, you know, and, and all the creditors got paid and, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was the company did not accomplish what we'd hoped it would. And also in the process, I failed to remain kind of fully connected to and, and effectively collaborate with my business partner at the time. And I think that I learned a lot from that failure. You know, so That's I, so good. And I can look back and say, oh, well, gosh, we could have sold it in the first year and made a lot of money, which was true. We had a lot of interest. In, so to some degree, it was a case of just bad timing. But if that had happened, I would not have learned what I learned about my own weaknesses and we'll say opportunities for growth. <laughs> See, <laughs> so, this yeah. is exactly how we have to reframe everything unwanted uh, in our lives. And I really like that. So no wonder the next big idea club is so successful now that you apply all that you've learned. <laughs> Rufus, so I know you and I talked already about the deathbed perspective. Yes, yes. Yeah, so thinking life from its end backwards, mm. that's the perspective I really like to take because I can derive a lot of meaning if I take that perspective towards things that are really important. I'm a big fan of that perspective and I know you told me you are too. Yes. So, yeah, so that's why I'm really curious. Tell us one regret you don't want to have when you're lying on your deathbed. Wow. Well, I think if I'm lying in my deathbed and I'm really young, I would regret that. So my ambition is to be really old when I die for one thing. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we yeah. do need to exercise every day and uh, we're all trying to be healthy. But no, I, I, I'm joking. I actually, you know, Mark Twain said, a man who, who has lived fully is ready to die at any time, which I think is nice. And I do feel that way. It's funny. You know, a lot of people get nervous on airplanes. I'm, I'm not too nervous, but when there's turbulence and the plane's dropping 50 feet in the air because you're in experiencing, you know, some air turbulence. I get nervous. I think most of us do. And my process is I just make peace with the idea that this is it. This is the, <laughs> this is the end. And boy, am I grateful to have had such a great life. And then when the plane lands, Christian, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. <laughs> so I've got a whole new, so instead of fearing Instead of fearing the airplane crash, like I've concluded, if I just accept it, that maybe this is it, that then I have a new lease on life when the plane lands. So, you know, I think that, that for me, I certainly, probably the thing I most would like to do is write a beautiful novel. And my second choice would just be to write a novel. <laughs> so, um, but I have things I'd like to share with the world and research and learning that I'd like to put out there. So that's in the second half of my life, I think that more, more contributions to the world of ideas directly is something I'd like to do. But the other piece gets back to what we were talking about earlier, which is I really want to focus on building community and helping connect with a wide range of people, not just people like me, but a wide range of people and, and helping them connect with each other. And so I think that I would like to have played a really active role in, in helping build both virtual and also physical community. And hopefully to do it in a way that's colorful enough 
you know, to leave behind some fireworks, Christian, some exploding color in the sky to not go gently into the night, but, you know, live a pretty colorful life and, and help others do so. Wow, wow, wow. I can see it already, the firework in front of my eyes. <laughs> oh, what a great plan to have and thing to do. So hopefully every plane you're on will land safe and sound for a long time. So is that the legacy also you want to leave behind other than money? Because, you know, yeah. I'm always interested in, in learning what people want to create in terms of also how they want to be remembered because that is what drives wise decision making yeah i do think that joy and you know solar panels turn you know sunlight into electricity i like to think that one of my jobs on this planet christian is to turn experience into joy you know, and, mm. and, and share it. And I think that I've, and I want to share that in the form of books that I write in the coming decades and maybe art and maybe, you know, in different forms. And on the business side, what I've always been interested in is, is creating platforms that empower other people to turn experience into joy or into insight that is empowering for other people. So I'm just hopeful that I can do as much as possible to do those things. I love this project of Deathbed Perspective, and I have found it useful to try to adjust the amount of time that I have left in the hypothetical Deathbed Perspective. So, you know, it's useful to say, this is my last day on earth. What do I regret? You know, then it's, I find it useful to say, I have one year left. What are my priorities? And whenever I, I did that exercise, I always would quit my job and, and do nothing but write. And that wasn't very useful because I love my work, you know. And so then I tried increasing two years, three years, four years. And I found that five years left to live was a very useful time horizon for me as an exercise because I would think, okay, I love my work. I'm still going to be engaged with that, but I'm going to put greater priority on my close friends, people I love, certain creative projects, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's an interesting kind of thought experiment for listeners, which is what's the right time horizon to help you figure out what your highest priorities are in life? What's the single most important advice you have for your three sons? Oh, boy. I have a lot of advice for my three sons, Christian. So asking me to ask. <laughs> and do they ask for that advice or no. is it? <laughs> they don't. No, they don't. And so I've had to write it down. I have this blog post, unsolicited advice for my three sons that. They will uh, love that. That is, is sort of <laughs> meant to be both funny and, and helpful. And so if I get hit by a bus, they can still get my advice. That's the whole plan. But if I had to uh, boil it down to one thing, I would say. You know, EM Forrester, only connect. You know, it's all about connecting with other people. And you can do that most effectively through humility. Be humble, be grateful, and use that as a way to connect powerfully with other people. I think that's, now I've kind of taken two pieces of advice <laughs> and squeeze it into one maybe, but I think that would be it. Yeah, it's not easy to boil down your thoughts and uh, what you think is important and what you think uh, one should focus on into the one thing, isn't it? But 
I always think if we force ourselves to filter out the one thing, then it is actually the essence of it all. And that's why I think it's a very powerful advice. Always connect. That's great. So do you want to add anything, Rufus? You know, Christian, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I'm grateful for your uh, your questions and opportunity to, to share and connect. I look forward to continuing this conversation in years to come. I really think this is the sweet spot of life, Christian. And I think it's the sweet spot of life partly because of this proximity that because the deathbed perspective becomes available and and almost unavoidable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are still many people, obviously, who uh, want to avoid taking that perspective. But I want to promote the idea that if you take it, you have a big chance to live a meaningful life before it's too late. And that's what this podcast is all about. And I do thank you, Rufus, for all the things you've shared with us because there is a lot we can learn from you. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, my pleasure, Christian. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.